Thank you all for singing along with us. Welcome and good morning. I'm Jeremy, one of the pastors here at the Axis, and I'm thankful, happy uh, that you've chosen to gather with us here today. I'm also really thankful for the diligent studying and preparation and careful preaching of the scriptures done by Pastor Derek and Pastor Don and our dear brother Barrett Wilson over the last three weeks, um, leading us and guiding us through Advent. <clears throat> this is our fourth Advent Sunday, and uh, the task before me, my assignment, as it were, for today is to uh, cover the topic of love this Advent season. Um, it was 23 years ago tonight that I asked Jill to be my girlfriend, uh, and then we got engaged in March, and then married in August, and then had a, our firstborn 13 months later. Uh, we got going pretty quick. And uh, anyway, so 23 years ago today, and so it's cool that I get to talk about love, but the love that I talk about today uh, is so much more profound than a love that a man can have for a woman, a woman for a man, or any of us for a dog or a house or a possession. All those are reflections of the most significant form of love, the truest form of love. And that's the love that's found in the heart of God for fallen humanity and what he did to redeem humanity back from its fallen rebellious state. So we get to talk about Jesus today. So what is love? Love, according to St. Augustine, is the beauty of the soul. According to Socrates, one word frees us of all the weight and pain in life. The word is love. Love involves care, a closeness, protectiveness, admiration, affection, and attraction. Love is given. <clears throat> love is also received. The presence of love is felt. And what's interesting is the absence of love is deeply felt. Love includes vulnerability and genuine trust and a certain level of intimacy. Love includes uh, feelings of passion and desire and intense longing for someone. Love is simple. It's caring deeply for somebody. Love is also very complex, caring deeply for somebody. Love includes a mix of emotions and behaviors and beliefs associated with strong feelings of affection, protectiveness, warmth, and respect and honor for another person. Love is very risky, but love is a place of safety at the same time. You see, perfect love doesn't include fear. According to 1 John 4, 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. That comes from 1 John. John the Beloved was writing about the finished work of Christ and the love that's found in the heart of God for us as proven by him sending Jesus to be the propitiation for our sins. And he's saying, that to understand true love, love that's found in the heart of God for, him, for his creation, that love and understanding that love and what Christ did to absorb your punishment for you casts out fear, the punishment. He took your punishment. There's no longer anything to fear. That's where that comes from, that perfect love casts out fear. And fear has to do with judgment and so forth. He's speaking at the heart of the gospel and a fruit of that being understood and believed, fully accomplished through the work of Christ. Studying love, coming up with definitions, looking at it, admiring it, you can do all these things and it still doesn't help you experience love. 
You can know of love, but that knowing of love still doesn't change your heart. And most of us believe that if we're fully known, there's no way that we can be fully loved, which is why most of us go about life being partially known, selectively vulnerable, hoping that, that even holding back like this, that we would still be able to experience being fully loved. But the only way to experience being fully loved is to be fully known. But I know that many of us fear that we'll never find someone who will love us. Many of us fear that we'll never receive love from someone. Sadly, there's a lot of married folks who feel that even though they're married, they'll still never experience true love. And I heard it said, it's better to be lonely and single than married and lonely. It's true. It's better to be single and lonely rather than married and lonely. By the way, if you feel like you're in a loveless marriage, you feel stuck, friend, there's hope. I encourage you to lean into the scriptures. I encourage you to walk in humility and openness with the Christian community and discover help and hope because it's there, truly is. I know in this season of Advent, there are many who are longing for love, longing for that spouse, longing for that child to hold and to have as their own. And there's many who are suffering and longing for something to change, to catch a break. Our own Trenton Wheeler, expecting twins any, any moment, um, him, Marissa, there's a longing of, of waiting that childbirth. We're in the process of waiting and longing for our new home to be built that my wife and our kids can move into. There's a longing, but with this longing and waiting comes a lot of confusion. When? What will it be like? Well, I get to tell you about a love that has arrived, that is here, and that is only gonna get better as we move forward, regardless of what it is that you're waiting for in particularly. There's something that we can celebrate that has come, has come into the world, has come into our life, and that we get to experience, taste of, even now, and full abundance of throughout eternity. And that love comes from the heart of God. A lot of folks fear they're unlovable, that, that they're, not, they're not worthy of someone's genuine love. There's a lot of us who struggle with loving ourselves, trusting ourselves, um, accepting ourselves, and this creates challenges in receiving love. But what does the Bible say about love? What is the love of God like? How do we know the love of God? How should the love of God be applied and understood in our life today? Moving it from theological page to something that we feel within. How is it something that we can experience? And then is the love that comes from God, is that able to speak into the way that I love myself, that I love my family, that I, the way that I love my friends? Is there a way for the love that I experience in God to change the way I treat and love even my enemies? I think so. Paul described love this way in 1 Corinthians 13. The apostle Paul, he says, love is patient, love is kind. Love does not boast, it does not envy, it's not arrogant, it's not rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable, it's not resentful. It doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing, but it actually rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, it believes all things, it hopes all things. 
It endures all things. Love never ends. Now, prophecies, they'll, they'll pass away. They'll come to an end. Tongues, they'll cease. They'll stop. Knowledge, it'll pass away. And what we're left with is faith, hope, and love. And of these three, the greatest of faith, hope, and love is love. So pursue love. Love is seen by many to be the central theme of the Advent season. Love is a foundational attribute of God. In 1 John chapter 4 and verse 8 tells us that God is love. It's not something that he does, though it is. It's more than that. It's who he is. It's not just what he does. He is love. Love is the motive that, that caused God to send his son Jesus to us. Very familiar passage of scripture, John three sixteen, For God so loved the world. It's not like he loved the world this much, like he so loved the world, but it's talking about like the action that he took. God loved the world in this way. He so loved in this way that he, he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, that will not die, but have eternal life. They will literally live forever as a result of believing the risen Christ. So the motive that God, that, that calls God to send Jesus was love. And we understand love by reflecting on this season of Christmas where we collectively remember and focus on the reality that God truly sent his son Jesus for us, to us. First John 4, 9 talks about this. In this, the love of God was made known and manifest, shown and understood among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him so that we might live and live through him. And Romans 5, 8 says that God proves his love, shows his love in this, that while we were still sinners, rebels, hating God, that Christ died for us. And love is a key aspect in the redemptive work of Christ. In John, 1 John 4, 10, it says, in this is love, not really that, that we've loved God, but more so, that's a response, us loving God. But what even brings that response about and understanding love is that he loved us and sent his son Jesus to us to be the propitiation for our sins, to be the wrath absorber, to be the responsibility taker for us. He's absorbing and owning all the wrath of God that's due us in our sin. He's owning it himself. That's how we understand love, John says. So the call that sent the king on a rescue mission echoes forever that you are loved and that you are important and that you are worth something. For God so loved the world, he loved the world in this way, that he gave his son to die for you so that you did not have to die but live forever. That tells you that you're valuable. It tells you that you're important. It tells you that you're worth something. Christmas is the time of year where we put like a hyper-focus on the birth of Christ, the arrival of Jesus Christ, God putting on flesh and dwelling among us. That demonstrates God's love in action. I mean, think about the love that God has for you, for him to send his son Jesus to you, to suffer for you, to die in your place in order to be able to adopt you into his eternal family. Christmas, God showing up in the flesh, as Jesus, the Son of God, tells you that you matter. And if you look at Good Friday and his crucifixion, it tells you just how much you matter. 
Christmas says we're on God's radar. Good Friday tells us just how close we are on his radar and just how interested he is in us. I mean, think of the love that Jesus has for you as he endured so much for you to rescue you, to save you and redeem you. I mean, for God to put on flesh, stepping into our time and space, stepping into human history, this took so much commitment on his part, which is an element, an element of love. It took so much humility, which is an important element of love. And it took selflessness, which too is an essential element to love. And Paul writes about this humility of him selflessly coming to us to rescue us and that compassion he had for us. He writes about this in Philippians chapter two. He says, let each of you not look only on his own interest, but also the interest of others where you have this mind among yourselves, which is really, it's yours in Christ. It's sharing in his mind. Because remember, it was he who was in the form of God, yet he did not count equality with God as a thing to be held onto, grasped and leveraged for his own personal gain. But instead he emptied himself and he took on the form of a servant, even to the point of being born in the likeness of his own creation and the likeness of men. And then being found in human form, he emptied himself before, but here he humbles himself even further by becoming obedient to the point of death, not just a normal death, but death on, on a torturous device where only criminals and those rejected by God hang on a Roman cross. He did this because he loves you. Jesus came to reveal God's love and to prove his love and his commitment to you. Look at his perfect life. Every moment choosing to do the right thing and not the easy thing was for you. Him dying in your place, suffering, being whipped and beaten and hanging on a cross because he loved you. Paul writes further about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He goes, therefore, if anyone is in Christ Jesus, he is a new creation and quite complex because the Christian is no, no longer merely flesh. But there's a dynamic nature about the Christian, complexity about the Christian. He's now, she's now flesh and spirit. There, there's, this, there's this old part of who we are. There's this new part of who we are. There's the flesh that we're born with. There's the spirit that we're reborn with. So there's a complexity and a dynamic that's now at play within the life of the Christian. And so he's addressing this change of the one who has faith in Christ and who's been born again, that there's this newness that comes about. It's like we're, we're something entirely different. We're a new creation altogether. The old has passed away. The new has come. And all this, all of our salvation is from God who through Christ was reconciling us to himself. And not only this, but he's given his Christians the ministry of reconciliation. That is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their sins and trespasses against them, but actually entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we Christians, every one of us Christians are ambassadors for Christ. It's as if God is making his appeal to others in, in our lives, but he's making an appeal to them through us as we share the gospel of hope and love to them. It was for our sake that God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is him reconciling us to himself. And so as you reflect on the true meaning and origin of Christmas this season, this week, think of how much you are loved. The, the cradle that held the king, 
when he stepped into human history, echoes forever that you're loved and that you are important and that you're worth something. The call that sent Jesus tells you this. The cradle that holds Jesus tells you this. The ultimate expression of love is found in the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, dying for you. And Jesus speaks of this in John 15, 13. He says, greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down their life for his friends. And, and speaking to this a little bit further, Jesus talks about this in John chapter 10. He says, I lay down my life for the sheep, for my people. No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have the power and authority to do this. I got it from my father. I have the authority to lay, to lay my life down and I have the authority, I don't know, three days later to raise it back up, take it back up again. And then Paul, reflecting on this love that's found in the death of Christ and through the death of Christ, he writes a very familiar passage in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but he who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. We're very familiar with that part. But this last part is so interesting. Faith in the Son of God and the Son of God being the one who loved me and gave himself up for me. He loves you. And he's get, literally given up his life for you. Every minute he lived, he lived according to the God's glory and obedience for you. His death, he did glorifying his father and accomplishing the mission, perfectly obedient, but he did it for you. You cannot say you're alone and you cannot say you're not loved and you cannot say you're not worth something. You cannot say you're not significant. That insults the work of Christ. You are deeply loved. Jesus surrendered himself to death for you, even death on a Roman cross. He willingly died for you in order to atone for your sins, to offer you forgiveness, to reconcile you back into a loving relationship with God the Father, your very creator. He wanted to do this. He did not do this reluctantly. Hebrews tells us that he did it with joy. He dies, Jesus Christ dies so that you live. He was rejected by God so that you can be accepted by God. He took your place and assumed full responsibility for you and your actions because he loved you. He's punished in your place for your sins and your disobedience. The cross that holds the king echoes forever that you are loved and that you are important and that you're worth something. Seeing the love of God for you in God sending his son to suffer and die for you. Seeing the love of Jesus for you in the death of Jesus on the cross, seeing and believing and knowing this love, it slowly begins to not only redefine love for you, though it certainly does, it's a whole nother category, but it begins to slowly change you. The love of God slowly changes your heart through the Holy Spirit's commitment to be with you and to change you to become more like him so that he's working in you so that God can more work more, more through you. So the love of God transforms us. It changes us. 
You see, when you realize just how committed God is to you and you truly see and believe the love that he has for you and you stare at the cross until it melts your heart, you begin to be transformed. God's love changes you. It's a change agent. It's like as your heart is encouraged by learning and understanding more by faith of the love that God has for you, you realize how much you're loved by God through Christ. Your heart is softened a lot like the Grinch experienced. And you, you begin to love others and care for others in ways that you never thought you would. It's shocking to some. As the Lord works in you, it changes you over time. It's like you begin to become more aware of the angry tone that you have around others and what it does to them, and it's starting to bother you. Like, why do I care about this? I used to leverage this control, this tone, this power, and now I feel bad for using it. What's going on? You begin to feel sorrow when you're rude to others, short with them, not as patient as you need to be. And it sticks with you. It's like, why does that, that still bother me? Something I said last week, how I said it. You begin to care for those you used to judge and dismiss. But now you start to care for them. And that's so confusing. Why don't I hate them like I used to? You begin to treat those around you with greater tenderness and compassion. And you become more concerned with how you affect other people by your words and actions. You begin to look out for others and, and their needs and not just your own. You begin to give to others instead of keeping more for yourself. You begin to serve others rather than waiting to be served by others. Friend, this is the power of the risen Lord at work in your heart and life. That's evidence and proof of God's presence and his spirit working in you to love and good works that Hebrews 10, 24 speaks of. That's the power of God changing you. And as you spend time in the word of God, reflecting specifically on the love that God has for you, as you spend time in scripture, the Holy Spirit prepares you and enables you and begins to fuel you to love others as Christ has loved you. But to merely like try really hard to love people deeply, without reflecting on the gospel, at best, this is moralism. It's just adding virtue to your life. It's, it's adding a commitment and determination to be better. But we need more than this. That's not sustainably sourced. You will wear out. To, to deeply love others as you reflect and remember the gospel, begin to mirror the type of love that God has for you. You learn to lean upon the power of God that's within you, and that's sustainable. Like to love others as they've loved you, once they quit loving you, you quit loving them. It's not genuine, it's not sincere. It actually keeps an account of like how you were loved when you were loved, when you weren't, when you didn't get what you thought you deserved. But to love others as God in Christ has loved you, that never wears out. Because the love of God never diminishes, dilutes, delays, or fails or has fear. It's genuine. It's real. It forgives. It does not keep record of wrong. Though it did. But Christ suffered in our place for every single one of those records of wrongdoings. He suffers for those. So the change that the King's Spirit brings echoes forever that you are loved, that you are important, and that you're worth something. 
and to receive the love of God through Christ and not embody that love, not reflect that love to others, not share that love with others. It's not just what I would consider selfish, but I truly question whether or not you have actually experienced the love that God has for you. We're told that people will know that we are Christians by the way that we love. There's a quality of love that's experienced in the heart of God. There's a scope of love that's just entirely different. There's a quality of love, a scope of love, a type of love that's greater than any other. And this love is only found in God through Christ. But friend, have you experienced it? Do you know about it? Can you quote some scripture about it? Do you know people who've experienced it and who act differently because of it? Or have you truly experienced this change for yourself? This love is only found in God through Christ. Experience it. The love of God comes to us as we hear the gospel word preached, as we spend time reading of the gospel in the pages of scripture, and by asking God for faith and belief to experience it personally. You experience the love of God by faith and faith alone. It's not reasoning, it's not logic, it's not arguing, it's simple faith. And so this Advent season, this Christmas season, embrace the love that God has for you. Receive forgiveness from God. Be united with God in a perfect loving relationship with him. And then as this love begins to change you, be faithful to share it and reflect it with others. So to summarize, the call that sent the king on a rescue mission tells you that you're loved. The cradle that held the king and the cross that held the king tell you that you are worth something. And then that change that the Holy Spirit brings within echoes that you are loved and that you're important. Christmas itself tells you that you're loved, that you're important, and that you're worth something. Friend, you believe this and you are changed by it and you live forever but you refuse this love and you stay as you are and you will die forever. This is the teaching, very clear from scripture. My prayer for each of us comes from Paul in 2 Thessalonians, that the Lord may direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ because it won't fail you. Your spouse, the dream of the perfect spouse one day, holding something that you dearly love, all these things will not change us and they, they cannot be steadfast forever. They will fail us at some point. But this steadfastness of Christ and the love of God can be leaned upon with your whole identity and it will sustain you and hold you up. It will not crumble underneath that savior weight. It's good for it. Find it there. And as Jude 20 and 21 says, you beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Keep yourself in the love of God. That's a command, something you're responsible to do something with. Keep yourself in the love of God. Focus on it. Think on it. Dwell on it. Meditate on it. Study it. Talk about it. Dialogue with others about the love of God. Explore its dimensions, its height, its depth, its width, its breadth. Focus on these things. waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Waiting and longing 
in this season of Advent. So love and love well. Believe and receive the love of God that comes to us through Jesus Christ. And continue, dear friend, to lift your eyes to the skies as you wait for the love and mercy of God to appear very soon as Christ will surely return. My ask is that you consider what you've heard today. And my hope is that you've heard, that you truly hear. To truly hear is to respond in obedience. I pray that you've truly heard and that you think over these things, that you don't dismiss this. Like, yeah, that December 17th, we're moving on to December 18th, one day closer to Christmas. No, no, you stop and you think about what you've heard today. Do not let the enemy take the truth of God's word that's been sown into your heart through preaching and singing and sacrament today and do nothing with it. Do not do that. The enemy is wanting to steal what you've heard today. You fight that by remembering what you've heard today, thinking on this stuff, dwelling on this stuff. Thinking on this sort of thing is how one becomes a Christian. And as the Christian thinks deeply and meditates and discusses this type of stuff, the Christian is made happy. So be a happy Christian that spends more time thinking about this than social media or worrying about other things. Meditate on this. The same muscle that worries is the same muscle that meditates, that knows how to meditate and dwell. So in essence, I'm asking you to worry about this gospel. Spend time thinking about it, dwelling on it, wondering about it as we do things that we're afraid of. And watch our life change as we experience more of the love of God, as we spend time focusing on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Together, we're going to reflect and remember the love of God as we approach the Lord's table this morning in communion. We've got bread and we've got juice or wine. Bread is symbolic of the perfect life of Jesus Christ, his body given up for you. The red liquid, the juice or wine, is symbolic of the death of Christ as he suffered in your place for your sins. We're going to have servers on either side of the stage here. We're going to have self-serve stations in the back two corners. As you come, you're going to take, dip, and taste. I want you to remind yourself of just how much you're loved through what Christ did for you, because that's how you know love, according to Scripture. So don't come up here flippantly. Don't come up here lackadaisically. Don't come up here thinking about what's next. You think over what you've heard, and you come humbly, humbly and broken, contrite and repentant before the Lord's table this morning. And as you grab that piece of bread, tell yourself, it is absolute grace that you grab this bread. And it is absolute grace that you dip it into the juice or wine. And then it's absolute grace that you take this in, symbolically identifying with tens of millions of Christians throughout history that have done this, remembering not our sin, but the forgiveness of our sin through the finished work of Jesus Christ. You are in him, and he is in you, the hope of glory. Let's do this together, dear Christian. Let's pray. These are the gifts of God for the people of God, and we proclaim the great mystery of the Christian faith, that Christ has come, that he's lived perfectly, that he's died as our substitute, that he's risen in victory, and that he soon will come again, reigning victoriously forever and ever. Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now may the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be on this time of communion and remembering and worshiping and responding and thinking and pondering. And may you remain with us always, even through the end of the age. Amen. Christian, when you're ready, please come and take, remembering the finished work of Christ.
and the love that God has for you. You can come when you're ready.